From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. And this is the best beer show on the internet. It is. It has the best uh, music at the beginning, too, that I can't hear. <laughs> well, you know, if you ever came down to the studio, you'd be able to hear it. You, oh, you, my God. You, you, you big bully. We both live in the middle of nowhere, but I live even more yeah. nowhere. You live more nowhere, which, <laughs> you know, which is why you need to come my way, because it's less nowhere. Next time. I know. I know. Um, yeah, we're doing this alternating uh, every other one remote uh, thing. So for you guys, it's every two episodes. We're remote and then back in studio. So uh, before we get too deep here, I want to give a big shout out to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. During the AHA, we'll give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Click on the referral link on our homepage or use blind-ninja-studios at checkout and join today. Also, want to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornsson, Hoffenbrell Brewing, Brian Bryanson, Devin Stinson, Phil Feldman, and Tyler Romanski. If you'd like to become a patron, over to patreon.com slash blind-studios and become a patron today. All right, Brian. What have you been up to beer related lately, my friend? Beer related lately, not a lot. Not a whole lot. What about you? Um yeah, I uh last uh last weekend uh as we're recording this, um I went out to uh Central Waters Brewing in Amherst, Wisconsin, uh near Stevens Point. Uh, for their uh 25th anniversary uh bottle release and party. Uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm continually, and I know I've talked about it throughout the years, but I'm continually surprised and impressed at how well their, bur- or their, uh, their barrel program is. It's something that's incredibly hard to do. And not only do they do it, they do it at scale and they do it consistently. Um, where they're... <laughs> Were we talking about this last time or were you and I just sort of talking about this in general? Like just the, the sheer difficulty of barrel aging beer um, on, yeah, on a scale like that is, is unbelievable to me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, and the beer was fantastic. Uh, we're going to try it on. Uh, well, we've tried it on Department of Defense by the time you guys are hearing this. Uh, so uh, you can go ahead and listen to that if you want to hear uh, Carlos and I's uh, take on it. Because um, I think it's just going to be the two of us splitting a bottle, so that'll be a problem later. But <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how many of those have you been to? Uh, the first one I went to was sixteen. So okay, this so was my ninth good. year. Wow. Yeah, like that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh wow. Um, and then I looked, and I have a vertical of uh, nineteen up that I can do right now. I have one bottle of 19 left, so. I will be in the studio that day, and I will also be sleeping at your house. Yeah, well, that's going to be one of those, uh, it'll be summertime, we'll have the pool going, we'll grill up some food, and we'll do, uh, it'll be a day. Because <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> that that can't happen in a short period of time. Nope. But, um, but yeah, so that is, uh, that's, that's kind of the only thing uh, beer-related. I have something else, but I'm going to save that for next week, because... I need something to talk about next week. 
Nice. All right. Uh, today we are going to be talking or continuing our discussion on farmhouse ales. Uh, this is uh, from the book Farmhouse Ales: Culture and Craftsmanship in the Belgian Tradition by Phil uh, Markowski. Um, and uh, this is—I mean, this is a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, uh, go pick it up. There's a lot of interesting information in here and a lot of unique perspective. Um, last time uh, we did this, uh, last—I think it was last episode actually—we um, talked about. Um, like kind of the history of Beer de Garde, where the style originated from, and where it is now. And now we're going to actually talk about what that style is. Um, and hey, Brian, uh, while I'm looking this up, do you want to pull up the BJCP on Beer de Garde? I, I can probably do that. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about doing that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, where what this style has become, what are the characteristics of the style, and then how to brew this style and how to uh, kind of try to keep in in mind uh, specific things um, about, like, the roots of this beer. Yep, so Beer Day Guard 24C. All right. Uh, this is the 2021 style guidelines in Section 2424C. Um, there are two, there are supposed to be three versions, or, well, three versions that you can make and be within style. There's Blonde brown or brune and then uh the most traditional or the one that everyone sort of associates with the style is ombre so amber that's what i'm most familiar with i don't think mm -hmm. i've ever had a beer day guard uh any other color than uh, amber okay yeah um beer uh the amber one is definitely the most uh the most common one um that i've so, had as well uh, I was looking at trying to find one for the show today, and I just kind of off the top of my head, I was like looking through or like mentally going through uh, beer to guard styles, and they're mostly discontinued now. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the only one I can think of is do you, do you think maybe um, New Belgium? made one at some point or maybe uh the one that i try or that i remember drinking the most was uh guard dog from flying dog okay yeah yeah that makes sense they interesting mm -hmm. another underrated brewery that yeah they're they they pop in and out of like i i used to drink a ton of flying dog and i just haven't in a while and i'm like why not like their well, Hefeweizen was mm, primo. Definitely. But yeah, so overall impression of this beer style is smooth, fairly strong. We're talking malty. That's what I remember. Pretty malty. Um, lagered. Uh, it's an artisanal French beer. It has a range of malt flavors uh, appropriate for your blonde, your amber, or your brown color. Um, malty, but dry. Uh Darker versions have more malt character, while paler versions can have more hops while still remaining malt-focused beers. So your appearance, obvious, Let's we need to go over that again. But from an aroma standpoint, prominent, malty, richness, complex, light to moderate intensity. So all this, like, this richness and this um, this complex maltiness, we'll, we'll get into why in, in a little bit, because um, there's very obvious reasons why it's like this um generally clean which is interesting because if this is a farmhouse you know type of beer i would imagine there was some sort of open 
fermentation, but I didn't well, know. Well, we, we, uh, if you remember back to last episode, um, when we were talking farmhouse and like the original, uh, all of the original documentation on this, like bearded guard mentions it being tart or, uh, vinous, um, and very like, and it seemed more closer to like a, like a lambic than, or a lambic than what the modern day bearded guard is. Yeah. And that's why I'm wondering what the BJCP is saying clean in here. That doesn't. Well, so the modern bearded guard is clean. Um, as, um, as like the German, the German lager, lager, uh, fad kind of took hold, then these cleaner beers became more and more in style. And as commercial, uh, brewing processes, uh, became more and more prominent, then we ended up with cleaner and cleaner beers, which is why the modern day beer to guard style is clean. Unlike what it was originally. The original farmhouse style. Nice. So, of course, uh, I don't know, thing in these guidelines, low to moderate esters, low spicy or peppery herbal hops. So we're probably working with noble hops. Um, paler versions are still malty, but lack richer, deeper aromatics. Mm-hmm. A little bit more hop to them. Um, I just, I remember some of the ones we were drinking were probably a little bit more hoppy because America um and yeah and, uh, yeah so flavor don't really need to go too much into that um herbal spicy and, and uh malty um medium to medium light body smooth creamy silky character moderate to high carb uh moderate alcohol warming never hot i don't know very many beers that i don't, I don't think i know any beers that are supposed to be or can be hot so just keep that in mind um Oh, here we go in the in the comments here. So, cellar, musty, moldy, rustic character often mentioned mentioned in literature are signs of mishandled imports, not not fresh, authentic products. But well, I went in a direction I didn't think it was gonna. But that happens quite a bit with the BJCP, especially with non-American styles. You'll yeah. notice that that kind of thing quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, Scotch Ale at one point had something similar, uh, where the the big thing was not smoky. This is not supposed yeah. to taste like a damn bog. No peat. No peat. <laughs> None whatsoever. Make it a smoke beer, make a smoke beer. Yep. Don't don't try calling it a scotch ale just because mm. you had a scotch once that tasted like a mezcal. All right. So uh, let's see here. Name roughly means beer for keeping. Traditional farmhouse artisanal ale from the area, area around Lille in northern France. Uh, brewed in spring, kept cold cellar in the cellars for warm weather. Um, documentation documented to exist in the 1800s. Um, first bot, uh, Gin Lane is a prototypical modern amber lager version, first bottled in the 40s. Yeah, so calling this this a farmhouse beer invites comparisons to Saison, which has a completely different balance. Beardy Garden is malty and smooth, while Saison is hoppy and bitter. And actually more of a similarity in malt profile to a Bach. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we get into uh, what the what the book is saying is or is recommending for malts and hops, I think we're really going to see that in like recipe formulation. Um, so let's dive into that. 
Uh, we're going to start with the ingredients. Uh, the way we're going to kind of uh, do this is we're going to talk about ingredients. We're going to talk about process. We're going to talk about like large scale versus small scale recipes. Then we will build a beer to guard recipe. Alrighty. So uh, let's start with the most important uh, ingredient in beer, water. Water. It's something that uh, a lot of people take for granted, especially early in your brewing career, but you cannot. Water is very important. So the groundwater in northern France, uh, where this style originates, uh, is primarily made up of chalk um, or calcium carbonate, uh, which gives the water a natural hardness and enough alkalinity to raise the mass, mash pH if it's left untreated. And why do we care about raising the mash pH, Brian? Uh, for conversion, uh, for converting the malt. So hard water is often great for brewing beer. It just depends on what you're trying to brew. So mm -hmm. this kind of water creates hoppier flavors and darker profiles in beers, and that's really good for some beers. Um, you're likely to experience a more rich mouthfeel when you're using hard water to make beer. So remember, what, what did we say? This is a very rich, mouthfeely beer. So, you know, the hard water doesn't really change the beer, but it makes a lot of beers better. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah, hard water. Um, so there's a lot of... Uh, accounts and stuff of brewers boiling the water for an extended period of time uh, in order to get it ready for brewing, which at that point would what it would do is it would precipitate a lot of um, the uh, like the calcium carbonate out of the water. And so it would reduce some of the hardness, making it less harsh and also reduce the alkalinity, making it better for brewing. Uh, modern brewers uh, just treat the water to remove the alkalinity and adjust the hardness to help them bring the match, mash pH into that 5, 4 to 5, 6 range. Um, and the thing to note here is as you're adjusting your water, refrain from using gypsum. Uh, because if you add, like gypsum is going to add sulfate or sulfide into your uh, water, which is going, or sulfate into the water, which is going to increase the perception of hot bitterness, which would be an issue for a malt so forward style, such as beer to guard, really great for something like an IPA. Definitely. Like when making American IPAs, gypsum's your friend, uh, at least around here. We add a lot of gypsum to our water for our IPAs. Uh, malts, typical malts we're looking at, uh, that were, uh, at least at the point where uh, in northern France would be two-row barley or six-row winter barley. Uh, so like a Pilsner or pale ale malt should be used as the primary base malt. Yeah, six-row makes sense if this is a farmhouse beer. Six-row six versus two-row. Six-row is um, more of the type of barley that you'd feed farm animals. Um, mm -hmm. It has a lot more protein, less starch, thicker husk. Um, higher protein levels can help to speed the conversion to fermentable sugars. Um, so this is uh, important homebrewers using high mash temps um, or like higher mash in temps. Uh, so more conversion would, would take place than otherwise. Um, six row, higher enzyme content uh, for conversion. Um, more enzymes means it, it can convert adjunct starches. So like if you wanted to put corn which actually, reading ahead in this book, they're talking about using corn grits as as an adjunct, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is really interesting. So, I mean, if you were trying to make a cheaper beer and sort of offset um, by you know you could offset that by using six row and adjunct, 
And there's a lot of large breweries that actually use six row. Um, so, and it's less expensive, which is a, also good, a good thing. Less expensive is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah. So Pilsner Pale Ale Malt should be used as the primary base. Uh, hops. Uh, French hops are used if available. But because Germany's German, Germany's gonna German. Uh, German hops are often substituted most con, uh, most commonly. Uh, Streisel Spalt, uh, Brewer's Gold, and Nugget. Good old Nugget. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it. They are the most available uh, hops, especially in that region of the world, which is why they would. What, why they would be used. It's a cost issue, especially when we're looking at commercial breweries. A lot of things come down to cost. Um, hop character also should be subtle. Uh, the best examples have bitterness uh, poised just at the threshold of balancing the malt sweetness. So we're looking at 18 to 25 IBUs. We, I, I know we've done an entire thing on how IBUs are bullshit, but we're still going to like use that because we don't have a better idea. <laughs> Um, yeast is actually fairly relaxed. There is an entire table of yeast, uh, in this book that I kind of found entertaining because, um, it can, you can use an ale strain at lower temps or a lager strain at higher temps. Basically, we're looking for a somewhat restrained ester profile. Uh, we're going to ferment around 57 to 60 degrees or, uh, Fahrenheit or 14 to 16 C. Both of those are going to give you like similar similar results. You're going to have slightly different ones, especially like lager ale, but you can essentially use any yeast is is what I'm gathering. Yeah, interesting. Um, Yeah, and here they have German ale, uh, or so like just looking at White Labs, they have WLP003, which is German ale 2, uh, they have WLP008, which is East Coast Ale, WLP001, which is American Ale. Like, that's that's a gamut. There's a Kolsch yeast in here. Um, they're recommending an American wheat strain, uh, Y-East 1010. That makes sense. Um, Bohemian Lager uh, from Y-East 2124. Yep, Kolsch 2565. You could absolutely, if you're going dry yeast, uh, Saf Lager, Saf 3470, I think would work fine. That is like an all-purpose workhorse. I mean, even uh, US05, I think, would be fine at a lower temp. I think that'd be fine, too. Uh, Lollaman makes uh, their Danstar Bell Saison yeast. I think that would work fine, too. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, that was pretty pretty neutral. It wasn't like off the charts. Um, it, it was no... Uh, 3711 or 3724 if you want speaking of saison yeast right yeah stay away from the saison yeast is essentially what yeah. we're the, right. only, the only restriction here let me talk about some saison yeast <laughs> <laughs> um all right uh and then adjuncts or other fermentables uh small amounts of sugar can be added to enhance dryness and lean out the body of the beer think uh belgian when you're making this beer a little bit where you want that, I think that's the kind of body that you're looking for. Slightly stretched, um, a little thin, not like super thin, but yeah, you want that, you want almost like that stretchiness. 
but with that malt backbone. Almost cider like, like I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scratched or whatever. Um, and all malt, all malt grist seem to be the exception rather than the rule. Okay. So we're talking about adding like sugars or uh, you mentioned corn grits. Really anything that's going to add simple sugars to like dry out the beer. All right, let's dive into the process. That's, uh, that's kind of our ingredient side. We're going to go into the process. So mash, especially for all malt uh, grist, you want to mash for fermentability. What do we always say, Brian? More alcohol, less temp, M-A-L-T. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we want to be on the lower end, on the far low end. They, uh, in the book, they even suggest like 147 um, as far as a mash temp for this, which is that's wild. That's super low. Um, yeah, and traditionally a protein rest was done. However, this is not required for modern grains. Uh, we've we've it, harped on yeah. that a few times. Yeah, that's true. So protein rests, they're just like a period of enzyme activity during the mashing when excess protein is removed and then it's it becomes digested. It's typically a part of the series of temperature holds uh, arranged in like a, a sequence to make sure progressive digestion of beta-glucans, proteins, and starches. Um, you can do it at the beginning of the mash at a lower temperature. Uh, 113 to 131 is pretty common, uh, 15 to 30 minutes. Sounds like a really long brew day, and everything is so highly modified these days, you don't need that. Yeah. But if you want to. You're going to get um, maybe a percentage point of efficiency out of it. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) Breaking down protein chains. Woo. Um, Boyle, uh, how you heat the wort, like your heat source. And the boil time can suddenly alter the color and flavor of the wort, getting us to that needed 10 to 15 SRM, um, which I found very interesting. So they recommend if you really want to go at it, like if you really want to pull a lot of color from the boil, uh, direct fire, like get that get that high concentrated heat spots and get that caramelization. And it's really going to turn the color of your wort. Kettle carm. Kettle carm. A little harder to do with the electric element. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I don't know if I've ever really noticed a huge, like a huge caramelization using electric. Have you? I have not. Um, and then the uh, the most important part of the beer to guard is the aging or the guarding of the beer. Uh, to many French brewers, this is the step in the process that defines beer to guard as it's, as the style. Uh, guarding is a long, cold aging process. I believe it's also in other parts of the world known as lagering. Um, and most say that four weeks is the absolute minimum. Six to eight weeks seems to be the most common uh, range in, when, yeah, in how you long to ex- guard your beer. If you've experienced or had the opportunity, I don't know how many people out there listening do any lagering, but... Um, the longer, the better. And I know that seems very obvious, but in a commercial setting, you're shooting yourself in the foot, tying up a tank for that long. Um, but boy, boy, does it taste so amazing (laughs) (laughs) when you can get out to six, eight weeks like that. Oh my goodness. The difference is astounding. Well, that's a long time to hold up a tank. Like even four is is insane. 
you're you're just you're losing money. You're losing all of the money. So on a homebrew, again, I always say this: you guys are lucky. You get to do whatever you want. <laughs> yep. Um, so large scale versus small scale recipes, Brian, you can speak to this, the large scale, actually you can speak to both sides of this pretty well. Ooh, I unplugged my computer. Hang on. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're good. Um, so yeah, I guess if you kind of want to chat about this one. Oh, uh, large scale typically will use up to a hundred percent base malt in the grist and may add uh half to 75 percent color malt to darker the beer that's a that's pretty broad um it's pretty broad 0.5 just 0.75 oh 0.75 i thought it said 75 i was like what no no no. 0.75 <laughs> 0. 0.75 that's uh yeah that that makes sense because really like uh, just a handful of Dark malt like makes a big difference, mm -hmm. um, but from a small scale here, we're talking about uh, seventy-five to one hundred percent base malt, uh, Munich ten to twenty, wheat five to ten percent, special aromatic three to six percent, uh, caramel Vienna or Cara Vienna uh, two to four percent, amber or kiln amber malt two to four percent, two to four percent biscuit malt, uh, all optional but all very good choices. Um, so on the commercial scale, why wouldn't we add 17 different malts to the beer? I mean, cost cutting. I honestly don't know. That's, uh, the, in the, in the book it, it, uh, said, well, uh, you usually have the big silo of grain and you're just going to do it that way. Or it's cheaper to buy or to just use the base malt, get the color that you need from a small amount of the color malts, and you still have a good beer to guard. Yeah, I don't know about that. That's cost cutting at the at the risk of not creating right. a premium product. I don't know. I don't agree with that, but it's in the book. It's that's what the book says, and they're talking specifically about French breweries, so or like large French breweries. So I'm not sure if that's changed also since the book has come out. Yeah, I mean, I know, um, I know, we've talked about like scaling up recipes and stuff to the commercial scale, where like if they're using a small percentage of something, you try to get it like up to a sack or a half sack. Yeah, no, you when you. When you're building a, a recipe on a commercial scale, you're not you're not doing a half a bag of this, half a bag of that. Like that's that's more what that means. But so yeah, ease and convenience of grain handling results in a leaner, less obtrusive malt character. Too like it's you know it's not as you know busy. Mm -hmm. um, I guess is is another um, way way to do it. But yeah, I don't know. Like makes a traditional product like just just do just go go just for do it. the thing. That thing. Just do the thing. All right. Let me bring up the app that I should have brought up at the beginning of the discussion. Um, Brew Father. Building a recipe. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I have my ideas. I love your ideas. Why don't you start uh, stream of consciousing your ideas while I open up this app? I can do that. I was thinking that we should probably use a. Belgian pale ale malt for base. Ooh, uh, I think that that is probably if we want to like make a like a, the real deal here. This is this is what how I'm going to lay it out. So 
pale, like the majority of like 60, 60 or so percent uh, pale Belgian malt. Dingemans, right? Dingemans, Dingemans, Dingemans. Uh, Dingemans, yeah, sure. Whatever. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's Dingemans. I don't know. Um, I'm, and then I want to, I want to layer this up. I want to layer this up. I want some. Uh, uh, we're gonna make this. We're making an amber, by the way, not blonde or brune. Uh, I want some Vienna malt. Um, I'm definitely gonna put some Munich. I love the idea of putting some aromatic in here, and I also love the idea of uh, at throwing some honey into the boil. Um, I think that would uh, would would give it that little bit of stretch. Um, and get us get us that little little alcohol bump, and like I said, stretch the body. Um, yeah, and then we're going noble hops in the boil. So I'm thinking, uh, let's go with like your Tetanang and your Haller Tower, but I don't, I'm not sure about placement quite yet and amounts. Maybe you could help me with that. Yeah. Holler Tau, huh? Instead of um, uh, Spitzel Spaltz, or Nugget, or Brewer's Gold. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you want, I don't know. The last time I brewed with Nugget, I was gonna say me either, but I seem to remember Nugget making a decent IPA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's let's I mean, do Hollertau. I mean, that's that's yeah, the right nugget, region. Yeah, that too. Like I was gonna say, Nugget is um more of a more of a U.S. hop. Um. Okay. So fermentables, we have uh, Dingaman's Pale and Honey, and what were the other ones that you mentioned? Um, Pamel, Vienna, Munich, Aromatic, Honey in the Boil. All right. I feel like that'll aromatic. give us some really cool layers. It's Aromatic and Vienna. I love getting the opportunity to use Aromatic malt. <laughs> you don't. You don't get to do it very often. No, it's so. It smells so so good. <laughs> All right, um, do has a Vienna, don't, oh, they don't. They have a Munich. I would probably just stick with Weyermann if you can't Weyermann. find okay. Yeah, well, they're, they're about as good as you're going to get. I think they make some of the best malt. Best malt in the world. All right, let's do a few pounds of that. Whoop. I mean, that gets me real close. With just random things that I threw together. <laughs> like in the middle of the thing. Uh, yeasty beasties. We can use, re- literally use whatever we want. Except uh, we can't use Saison yeast. No Saison. Okay, well, we all, we listed off like 8,000... Yeah, we can literally use anything. So, what's your what's what's your favorite yeast that you don't get to use very much? Um, jeez, I don't. 
Actually, I kind of want to use a bat. Well, I want to use like <sighs> thinking something no, Belgian, but we can't find that stupid list that I had. Um, yeah, maybe something Belgian. I don't know. Oh, what the hell I did with that ease? Uh, I'll bet. Oh, yeah, no, I'm totally right. <laughs> uh, I was guessing that Omega made a cool, unique one. I was actually thinking about Omega. Yeah, they specifically make a Beard A Guard yeast. I say let, let's... Uh, let's do that one, then. Let's do that one. OYL39. OYL39. Beard A Guard. Boop. Okay. I mean, SRM's a little on the light side for what I have, but we can we can fix that. Here's here's what I have right now, and then let me know if we need like what we want to tweak, what we want to change. I have sixty two percent of the base uh, pale ale. We probably want to bring that up a little bit, but we'll figure that in a second. Twenty five percent Vienna, six uh, percent aromatic, and six percent honey. Um, and then an ounce each of Hallertau and Tetnang at 60 minutes. Did you put any Munich in there? No. Throw in some Munich, the dark. Munich. Maybe that'll give us a bump on color. Uh, how much? Um, 10%, 15%. I don't know. What were what were what was your Vienna at? Here, I'm gonna bring the Vienna down. Bring the Vienna down, and then what was the aromatic at? Uh aromatic is at seven percent. Okay, yeah. Six percent. A, a little bit of that goes a long way. So bring that down. Three to, three to six is good, I think. Okay, so it's at six. I bumped it down to three. Um SRM went down. So I'm gonna bring the Munich up. Little bit. Boop. And then okay. So now I have sixty percent of the pale ale, uh eighteen percent Munich, twelve percent Vienna, six percent honey, three percent aromatic. Ah, that sounds good. All right, and then yeah, uh Announce each of Hallertau and Tetnang for a total of 25 IBUs, um, which is right in that range of 18 to 28. Uh, and then ferment with OYL039. Um, and then mash real low at 149. Cool. Uh, that gives that us. Like yeah, it gives us an OG of 1074. Estimated FG of 1014, so about 8% ABV. Perfect. Yeah. A good nap time beer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to call it guarding our naps. <laughs> and go ahead and save that. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty stoked on that beer. That one seems fun to brew. I think that's one of the better ones we've made in a while. Yeah, man, we got a lot of brewing to do, bud. Yeah, true. Uh, speaking of, uh, let us know what you guys thought of our live stream because I think that should be out now. We did a brew day live stream of 
are oh god what was it a um cold tropical barley wine (laughs) 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 yeah so that's out now um and yeah and that is in fermenter so we should be able to try that in the coming weeks cool all right well we should probably get out of here so we can do the next one yep if you guys have any uh, questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindindustudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindindustudios or follow us on Instagram at blindindustudios. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace.